Let us turn now to the Lord in prayer. Okay, God, we, we come to you, as we've noted before, with, with, with thanksgiving, with praise. We worship the God who is the creator, that there is no other God, there is no other creator. We worship the one who is the only ruler of this world, of this universe. There is no other. We worship the one who is the redeemer. Surely there is no other who could have delivered us from our sins. Certainly we could not have atoned for ourselves. Surely there is no other God. There's no other religion. There's no other means. No other power to deliver us from the sin that entangled us. Do we give you thanks that you would show us such mercy, such love, how truly deep is the love of the Father. We confess before you that often we, we live as those who are not grateful, even as those who think that we have earned our salvation, that you have owed us not only salvation, but you've owed us the, the help that we deserve, the good material blessings that we have, that uh, you owe those things to us because we have lived well enough, that we have done good enough work. And we confess this, whether we have believed it consciously or even unconsciously by our actions. We give you thanks, our Father, that all that comes to us comes from your, your grace. And may we ever be thankful each day of the week, each hour of the day, each minute of that hour, to be thankful unto you for all that you give to us. Knowing that all that you give to us is that which is good, that it is for our good, that even when it brings to us what is, what is painful to us, nevertheless, you are our good Father watching over us, caring for us, working all things to that glorious end that you have prepared for when your Son returns. Oh, we give you thanks, our God, for the great God, majestic God that you are. Our Father, we pray for this world in which there is much besetting sin, in which there is much violence, much a hatred in this world, much misunderstanding. We pray for a measure of your, your common grace to bring peace in such a troubled world. We do pray for the persecuted church, praying for the uh, care and watch over our brothers and sisters throughout this world, and that all the more that their light may shine brightly. We thank you for this worldwide church that oftentimes we're not aware of. We thank you for those whom you have sent from among us, and as we have even learned, that even more who have been sent from other parts of the world have been sent out into other cultures for the good news of Jesus Christ, and we pray that they may bear fruit in their labors. Father, we thank you for Joel and Stephanie Swanson, who could be with us today. We thank you for your placing on their hearts first their love for their Lord Jesus Christ, and then a love to take uh, that gospel 
uh, to others and the love that you have given them to different countries, uh, to the Ukraine that you first gave to Joel and to France that you gave to Stephanie. And now together we pray for great fruitfulness in their labors in Toulouse. We pray even now that, uh, and trust that there are those who are your people who will come into your kingdom uh, because of their ministry and the, and the ministry of their colleagues in that sitting. We pray that their, their vision uh, is your vision, that many more churches will be planted in that sitting. We thank you, Father, for the ministries here in uh, this local community how you have placed on the hearts of many to, to reach out to the needy, to the, to the poor. And we uh, pray for great blessing to be upon those labors. Jesus Christ would be glorified that those who are caught in poverty and in cycles that, that keep them there will be released from it. But all the more importantly, Father, that they would be released of those who do not know you, into uh, the, the freedom of Jesus Christ. And so we pray for uh, the name of Christ to go forth in this community uh, and through the churches, and we pray particularly through our own church. We pray, Father, for the search committee as they continue faithfully to seek the, the man that you have called, and we pray for guidance of them and, and as they uh, persist in, in seeking uh, prayerfully, whom you would bring here. And uh, so we pray for, even now for you be preparing uh, that minister to be here. And our Father, we pray for ourselves. You know the needs in this congregation. You know those who have been going through illnesses and surgeries and chronic illnesses and chronic pain. We look to you, our Father, to, to be our provider, to be the one who shepherds us, bells us up, feeds us, who heals us, to keep our eyes upon you in all that we go through. We pray, Father, for those who, who grieve over the loss of loved ones. We pray for those who are filled with, with worries for loved ones, and for their children and grandchildren. And we pray, Father, that you all the more would keep us faithful in coming to you in prayer that we would be persistent, even be bold in our prayers before you, trusting that you will do that which is good and that you want to hear our prayers. And we pray, our Father, that you would give us good ears, even now as we will open your word, as we will hear your word proclaim that your Holy Spirit would teach us, that we would be built up in our faith, all the more equipped to go out and to serve our great God. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, our scripture this morning is uh, Matthew 15, uh, verses 21 to 28. You know, you can use the uh, insert uh, that you find in uh, your programs. Uh, you, if you're using the church Bibles, you'll find that on page 693. And I'm... I, I want to thank the, for the birthday present. I, I presume that I've been given today, which is they took the clock down to, to allow me to preach as long as I want to preach for my birthday weekend. And I, I greatly appreciate that gesture. 
Well, let me read the, uh, the passage here. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I will send only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's a king, I tell you. Some of you might recognize that quote from the the lion, the witch, and the, the wardrobe. Mr. and Mrs. Beaver telling the children about Aslan. And it's a good description for Jesus, as one mother discovered in our passage. So let's go through this passage again. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now this district is just north of the, of the territory of Galilee. Okay, that's where Jesus is from, just right above it. And Jesus has gone there with his disciples, not to, not to carry out ministry, but actually to take a retreat. From ministry. In fact, Mark tells us in his gospel he did not want anyone to know where he was. And yet Jesus is a celebrity and it's difficult to escape notice. And so in verse 22, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Well, here again we have an interaction between Jesus and and a woman, as we did a couple of weeks ago. And it's, it's not the same scandal as before that Jesus had with that Samaritan woman. This woman knows that Jesus is a healer. She's coming to him for that purpose. And, and so this is all expected. Okay? And then note the humble way that she approaches him. First, she, she cries out for mercy. And that term for cry, it denotes great emotion. Okay? And she's not there demanding her rights. She's not insisting that Jesus ought to help her. She appeals not to justice, not what he ought to do, but to his mercy. And then she addresses him with great respect. She calls him Lord. And that's not an unusual way, of course, to address someone of a higher position. But it's that second title that should catch our attention. She also addresses him as son of David. Now, that word appears, or that title appears a number of times in Matthew. In fact, Matthew opens up with that title. It begins, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
And as I said, it will appear a number of other times of others who come to Jesus asking for him to have mercy on them, and they will address him as son of David. And according to the religious authorities, that was the title for the Messiah. In fact, Jesus asked him about this. He said, what do you think about the Christ? He's talking to the religious authorities. Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. So how did this non-Jewish woman hear of this title? What, what possessed her to use it? Well, likely, again, she probably just heard it as news got around about Jesus' miraculous powers. It would have spread. She was just next door to that district of his. And, and that's why now she's coming to him because he is so well-known and uh, because of what he can do. Now, I mentioned that Jesus is outside of his land, but even in Galilee, Galilee was probably as much Gentile as it was Jewish. And I know when Ginger and I went up there to visit uh, one year, and they were pointing out that there were many uh, Gentile cities throughout uh, Galilee. And so easily it spread to her. So she might just be using the term because she's heard it associated with Jesus, and it doesn't really even mean that much more to her, perhaps. Nevertheless, she uses that title. Jairus, whom we looked at last week, he did not use it. She must be giving some kind of importance to it. Now, this mother then presents her need. My daughter is severely possessed by a demon. Her daughter's suffering, it's terrible. And mothers, you can imagine how awful it would be to see your daughter in such anguish. So what then does Jesus do? Last week, we looked at when the father came to him about her daughter, he immediately goes with him. And in fact, along the way, he encourages the father, keeps his spirit up. Well, verse 23, but he did not answer her a word. He ignores her. And then it gets worse. And his disciples came and his disciples begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. Don't you love these kind-hearted disciples? Get rid of her. Now she's coming after us. You know, it brings me to mind the time when parents were bringing their children to Jesus to be blessed. And they're they're rebuking. They're, They're rebuking the parents. Don't bother the teacher. Don't you see how important of a person that he is? And so they're carrying on that same attitude here. Here is even worse. This woman's outside of the covenant. She's a pagan. She's an idolater. The nerve of her even showing up. And finally, finally, they must have had some kind of taken good heart at this. Jesus seems to agree with that attitude. Verse 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It seems that Jesus is answering the disciples here in verse 24. He might be, it looks like he's talking to them or maybe he's talking to the woman or probably kind of both of them. We're we're not there. We can't see who he's looking at. But the point of this is this. He's affirming his mission as that Messiah, the son of David. That mission is to go to the house 
of Israel. He's come to save the lost people of Israel. Now, as noted before, he had not even come into this Gentile district as as part of his mission. He's trying to get away from ministry for a while. And in verse 25, she responds to him again. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. This woman is not daunted. She draws closer. She kneels. She probably has her face right there at his feet. She's asking, Lord, help me. She's not arguing with him. She knows her position. She accepts it. She, she understands this. She's outside of the house of Israel. She, she knew she might even get this kind of, of response. And, and her only appeal to make to this Jewish man of God, though, is to his compassion. Certainly you mothers can, can feel her plight here. And here's how he answers. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now let's get this image clear. A mother. A mother filled with anguish for her suffering daughter. is kneeling at Jesus' feet. She is appealing to his mercy. And this is the same Jesus who once had said of himself, Come to me, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am I am gentle and lowly in heart. And this same Jesus not only refuses her request, he insults her. He insults her and her daughter. Now, I've read attempts to, to soften this. I mean, I tell you, this is one passage that has always, always troubled me. And I'm looking for that preacher, that commentator, just to make it, you know, make it all right. And, and, they, and they do their best. I mean, one commentator notes that the term for the dog here is actually that of a small, of a small dog, like you'd have for a pet. And, and, and Jesus is actually using a term of endearment. Now, do you know how many times Scripture refers to dogs with affection or any kind of respect? Zero. Never. And when humans are referred to as dogs, it is always as an insult. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry we pet lovers. I know this bothers us, but we just can't go to Scripture for our dogs here. But, uh, so another suggestion is that Jesus is having... He's having a humorous banter with the mother. If we could see their faces, we'd see they're kind of smiling at each other. What do you think, mothers? Would you be appreciating Jesus' good nature humor at this time? Now, some say that what's happening here, and this might be true, that Jesus is really, what he's really true is he's speaking to his disciples. What this episode is, is really a lesson. It's a lesson for them, okay? And he's using this woman who he knows is going to have the faith and he's going to pass, she's going to pass the test and all. But he's using her to teach them about the right attitudes that they ought to have, for one thing, and also about faith. He's, he's like a teaching doctor, you know, who goes to the hospital and has the other residents with him and her students on the rounds and you're lying there on the table and he's talking 
to them about you, and that's kind of what's going on here. Another commentator suggests what Jesus is doing is he's showing this woman great honor by testing her faith. You, you would only do that to someone whom you know is going to have that faith. Now, again, mothers, would you appreciate that kind of honor that's being shown to you? You know, I think when all is said and done, I think it's best just let the statement stand without any attempt to soften it. Because it's then, it's then that we really can appreciate this mother and, and have the respect for her that she deserves. Listen to her response. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. What an amazing woman. Her boldness, her quick wit. You know, how, how many times have we wanted to give a response like that, you know, and it's, it's a day later and we think, boy, I wish I could have said that. And she, she had her wits about her. She has been ignored. She has been turned down. She has been insulted. She's out of her element altogether. She's a woman among men. She is a Canaanite woman woman among Jewish men who are evidently hostile to her. She's a pagan before a holy man who is, who is cold to her. And she whips back a remark that stuns even Jesus. Then Jesus answered her, O oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done as you desire. And her husband was healed instantly. I mean, her child, her daughter was healed instantly. Did I say husband? A lot of wives would wish that would happen, wouldn't you? Wives. All right. So Jesus then heals the daughter. But he makes it clear that he acts, in this case, not in, not in response to actually her plea for mercy, not even through that humble respect that she had demonstrated, but in response to her audacious faith. Great is her faith. It was her audacity to, to argue with him, even, if we dare to say, to actually out-argue Jesus. And he liked that. He commends the greatness of her faith, and so it was. I mean, I mean most of us would have given up. She persisted even while Jesus did not follow through on what was expected. I mean, he'd been healing everybody else, hadn't been giving anyone else any trouble. She had followed the right formula, be humble, appeal to mercy, no result. She had tried again, still no result. In fact, only a, an insulting refusal, and yet she believed in him. She believed he had the power to save her daughter and that he would if she would not give up. She persisted. Truly, what faith it was to keep her wits about her. Truly, what great faith to believe in all the evidence was against her. Now, the clear lesson, and we're going to talk about this, has to do with faith. That's what Jesus commends her for. That's, the, that's what allows her, to gives her this, this boldness and ability to, to accomplish her aims here. But there's one other, there's a lesson I want to get to to first, and I think it's a, a noted one to bring up here. And that is how we are to regard Jesus. 
And I think one thing that this passage teaches us is to be careful not to Disney Jesus. Here's what I mean by this. And we all have our favorite Disney movies. We love Disney movies. My favorite is, is Beauty and the Beast. And, and, and I, like all, I like watching all of them, particularly as I'm growing up, and still like them even now. And I remember one time reading, um, reading through uh, the Grimm's, the Brothers Grimm's fairy tales, on which some of these movies are based upon. You cannot read the original version to young children. They're violent. They're gruesome. It, it's, it's, it's amazing about it. So what Disney had to do was take them and soften them, change those characters, and make things something that's a little bit more comfortable to be around. And we're often in danger of doing that to Jesus. Not that he's gruesome and violent and all that, but we want to bring him down and soften him up so that we can always be comfortable with him. Now, you look at drawings, illustrations of Jesus today. He's always smiling. He's always good-looking. Many of our songs, and when we sing songs of, of love about Jesus, some of them are very difficult to, dis- to discern from just plain old romance songs. And one reason being is that's really kind of the love that we often are just, that's what we feel for him. He is such a sweet, nice guy. But I don't think that's how this mother would have described Jesus. Even after she left and after he had done the healing, I know the disciples would not describe Jesus that way. Nor many of the others who came into contact with him. Now, it's true. I mean, I, you know, I read that passage. Jesus describing himself as, as gentle and, and, and meek. But if you were to read that, it's from Matthew 11. If you were to read what came before, what comes before is Jesus denouncing great condemnation, the destruction of cities. And then after that, he says, Oh, come unto me. I'm just a, a gentle guy to come to. It's a hard thing to get a handle on. I mean, we are to feel safe with Jesus. He's our Savior. And yet, sometimes there, there ought to be a certain discomfort. Jesus is like us, and yet he is not like us. He's our brother. He's our friend. He's also our king. He's even our judge. And as he demonstrated with this poor mother. He can be unpredictable and sometimes in an unpleasant way. The only thing we really can trust about Jesus is that he is good. To quote Mr. Beaver again, of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. Jesus is the king. He is the divine king. He is the son of God He's described as the almighty God. He's the ancient of days. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and and the end. And so as, as kind as he may be toward us, and as merciful and as compassionate as he is, you know, there lies within him a character that is far beyond our comprehension, that is far beyond our comfort zone. 
And so there ought to be times in which we, we read something like this and we just shake our heads and we don't completely understand him. Jesus isn't safe, but he's good. And let's just keep it at that and not try always to keep taming him. Okay. Now let's go to what this lesson is really about now, about faith. And we're going to turn to this woman who is very much like her and what she has to teach us about faith. One thing she teaches us is the, the simplicity of, of faith. Now, she could not have been too well-versed. This is a Canaanite woman. And uh, she could not have been too well-versed in Jewish history or theology to fully understand just who this Jesus was, even when she used that term, son of David. I mean, she'd have some knowledge. But what was most important for her is to report that here was a miracle worker. Here was a man of God. Not only that, a man of God who cared about the poor and who healed the sick and who drove out demons. She heard that title, Son of David. She knew that it was tied up somehow probably in the hopes of a Jewish Messiah. And then she realized, here is someone who would save her daughter. And to that belief, she attached her hope, and she would not let go. And sometimes, too much knowledge can interfere with faith. And don't get me wrong, to be sure we should strive to understand as much as we can. But sometimes knowledge, or what we think is knowledge, they can feed our doubts as well as our faith. We can overthink it too much. And the very fact that our our Christian faith is a matter of what? It's a matter of faith. It means, by definition, there are going to be times of things that we cannot fully explain or that we cannot prove. This is God's design. And the very means by which he he tests our commitment to him is to test us in, in such ways in which we don't understand what's going on or we still going to have faith? Are we going to believe? Remember Martha's conversation with Jesus after her brother Lazarus had died. Her brother lies buried in a tomb. She says to Jesus, if only you had been here, he would not have died. And then Jesus gives this great declaration. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he looks at her and he asks, do you believe this? Okay. He doesn't ask, can you understand this? The, you know, what all I'm trying to say here. Do you believe it? Do you believe it before I prove my words? Do you believe that though your loved one lies in the grave, your loved one lives? Do you believe that though your age says there is no afterlife, that though your age says, you know, it doesn't matter what one believes about me. Do you believe? Do you believe though your age says all truth is relative? You know, nothing, you can't really know anything for certain. Do you believe in me? Do you believe me? And we would do well then to have this woman's simple faith to believe. Now, another thing that would be great to have that she has here, that she presents best here, is 
to have her persistent faith. I mean, this woman was undaunted. She was rebuffed three times. And each rebuff grew stronger. And she would not give up. She is just like the woman in a parable that Jesus had told. Luke records it in chapter 18. Let me read it to you. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect? Cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I tell you, the Son of Man certainly found such faith in this Gentile woman who did not belong to Israel. She would not give up. Now, some might say to all of this, look, you know what you want to say about the woman's faith is well and good, but it's not really faith that motivates her, it's desperation. She's desperate for her daughter. Well, I can sympathize with that view. And certainly it plays a part in here, but it, that doesn't completely bear out what's going on here. If all it was was, was desperation, I tell you what she would have done. She would have turned to them in anger. She would have raged at these disciples. She would have raged even at Jesus, particularly after his rebuffs, and especially after that insult, if she didn't really believe. But she was able to keep her wits about her because she believed. She believed he could. She believed he would grant her request if she would not give up. And we would do well to have that same confidence of faith, that same persistence in our prayers to our Lord. So she had a, a simple faith, she had a persistent faith, and she had a bold faith. We must acknowledge the boldness, even, even the audacity of her faith. I mean, she argues with Jesus, and she wins the argument. You know, she's like Abraham and trying to reason with the Lord. You remember the story of Abraham reasoning with God on this time on the behalf of a wicked city of Sodom. The Lord has told him that he plans to destroy Sodom. He's going down there to take a, take a look at things, and if it proves to be as wicked as the reports are, okay, destruction's going to come. Well, Abraham knows then what's going to happen to this city because he knows all about it. And he's particularly concerned for his nephew Lot, who lives there. He doesn't want Lot uh, to be destroyed. And so he reasons with God. He he speaks to God this way. Look, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous uh, in the city. Will you then sweep away the place and, and not spare for 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. 
to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so the righteous fair as the wicked, far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? You know, you say, Abraham, don't you realize who you're talking to here? But the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Well, Abraham did not get destroyed at that first point, so he's, okay, he's, he starts to whittle God down, 45, 40, 30, 20. He knows he's, he's really pushing it. He finally gets it down to 10. And the Lord agrees. Now we know, we know the story, we know that he couldn't even find 10 there. On the other hand, Lot was saved. And he was saved, it says specifically, in there because God remembered Abraham. So what we take from Abraham, but even more what we take from this woman, is that far from being displeased by our prayer request, by even our pleading, God is pleased. He's pleased that we come to him. He's pleased that we would have such faith that we come to him boldly, even, even arguing our case with him. Because only one with faith to believe in God will believe that God listens. Only one who believes that there's a God there, only one who believes that God has the power, will keep at it and be persistent. Okay. This, that was the point of Jesus' reply to the woman. When he said to her, O woman, great is your faith. He's, believe, he's, saying, to him, he's saying here, and he's probably saying to the disciples, here's a woman who really believes in me. And then note that he goes on to say, be it done for you as you desire. He grants her request for her sake, for her faith. And may we have such faith. And so she teaches us simplicity of faith, persistence, and the boldness of faith. You know, there are two times in the gospel in which Jesus is just blown away with the faith that is shown to him. It's this time, and the other one is that of the centurion. In both cases, the believer is a Gentile, someone outside the covenant people. They are individuals who don't belong to the house of Israel, people who are not physically children of Abraham. They're on the outside. But they demonstrate what the Apostle Paul would pronounce clearly later on in in his uh, letter to the Galatians. He says, Know that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. It doesn't matter your heritage. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter anything of your background to be counted as a son or a daughter of Abraham. All that matters is your faith in Jesus Christ. That you believe in him. That you believe him. That faith does not have to be sophisticated. 
merely to simple belief that here is the son of David, the Messiah who is sent by God to save you from your sin. Hold on to him. Be be persistent in following him and in turning to him alone for your help and your salvation. Be bold. Be confident that in Jesus Christ you may boldly come before the throne of God and you know that you will be welcomed as his child. We thank you, our great God, for our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is like us, who took on our very flesh, became as one of us, the one who is the eternal God, who is omnipresent and is everywhere, who is all power. May we, our great God, not try to tame our Lord Jesus Christ, but all the more to to fall and at times to tremble before him in the greatness of his power, of knowing that also in him is the greatness of your love. And may we have a simple faith, not be daunted by all that is about us, uh, to be persistent in our faith, to be even bold. May we always come before you in Jesus Christ, knowing of the great love that we have in our Lord and Savior. His name we pray. Amen.